From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. My guest in this episode is Janelle Lesniak, who is a recent graduate of the Wharton School. She is now an organizational culture consultant at THRU, that's T-H-R-U-U-E. We talked in our SiriusXM studio at the University of Pennsylvania about the pressures experienced by many college students, pressures that have led to a host of problems, including a rash of suicides. Janelle talks about her own experience in the highly competitive social milieu at Wharton in our undergraduate program. And we talk about some fascinating solutions that are aiming to address this problem by normalizing imperfection, including the failure certificate, which is a new program at Smith College. You can find out about that. Just go online at Smith College. And Janelle's own resume of failures. Helping people to see failure as a part of, well, as a part of life and, and as a part of a meaningful progression in life and, and, and really rethinking what success means. Helping people to see that it, it's, it's normal to be imperfect promises to improve the emotional health of high achievers at any life stage and seems to be something that we need to be doing to change the cultures of our organizations and our schools. So we talk, Janelle and I, about the fascinating work she's now doing at Through to help organizations align their culture and strategy. All right, here now is my conversation with Janelle Lesniak. Janelle Lesniak, welcome to Work and Life. It's a pleasure to be here, Sue. Thank you. It's great to have you here uh, on this beautiful day on the beautiful campus of the University of Pennsylvania. I'm sure it's nice of you to, for you to be, to be back here on campus. Let me start by asking uh, about your time here, uh, which, which was so important and, and formative for you. Your, um, your, your questions about the meaning of success, I think, are, are really interesting and valuable for a lot of people to listen to and hear about. So let me just ask to start off, how did you get interested in, in asking yourself, first of all, uh, about what success is? is in life when you were a student here and why was it important for you to do that where i grew up uh it was a very small town in the middle of wisconsin and uh going to college was a thing that was in some ways expected but also an expectation that i had of myself it was one of my dreams and i wanted to 
after graduating high school, go to business school and someday be the CFO of the next biggest bank on Wall Street. And when I got to Wharton, I really started to explore other interests that I had, including some that you mentioned. So I realized that social impact is a thing in the business world and uh, how important philosophy is to me and thinking about deeper questions in life. And I started to explore more about economics and things like that. And so I went from kind of a narrow notion of what would make me successful to starting to have that expanded a lot intellectually. So you were interested in philosophy as a Wharton undergrad? Yes. I'm guessing, now I've had a lot of experience teaching Wharton undergrads now for over 30 years. Not many are deeply interested, certainly from the get-go, in studying philosophy. That must have made you somewhat different. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. I Actually, a Wharton class got me into philosophy. It okay. was in the social impact concentration by mm-hmm. a professor who's now at Harvard named uh, Ninha Shea. And he taught uh, social impact very much from a philosophical standpoint. So what does it mean for a business to do good in the world? Mm-hmm. And from there, I started taking all of my electives in the college in philosophy. So and in so, the college, that's in the school or liberal arts wing of, of the University of Pennsylvania, for those who don't know what the college is. Yes, yes. yes. Thanks for clarifying. Mm-hmm. And so back to your original question, as time went on, uh, I started to just feel there was a very much sort of prescribed definition of success for uh, most Wharton graduates. There's a certain trajectory that most students take. Uh, A lot of students end up in finance or consulting. And Mm -hmm. once I hit the on-campus recruiting season in the middle of junior year, I started to ask myself whether the types of jobs that were being advertised during on-campus recruiting were really what I wanted to do. And yet I felt this pressure to participate in OCR because on-campus recruiting, Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to miss out on a quote-unquote good opportunity. Um, And so I participated and I, it was a, it was a period in which I learned a lot about myself and how I actually thought about what having a successful career would mean to me. And um, what did you learn and how did you pursue that knowledge? I learned that I didn't want to enter consulting or finance after graduation. And uh, how did you discover that? It just didn't create a motivation me to want to do it. As much as I could tell myself that I wanted to do it, it Mm -hmm. wasn't, it wasn't naturally where I was inclined to go. And so through conversations with friends, mm-hmm. um, going through the interview processes and learning the types of um, work I might be doing and asking questions of the recruiters about different things that I cared about in an organization like work-life balance, how much people have to travel in these roles, mm-hmm. um, just led to greater clarity for me that it wasn't a direction that I wanted to take. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Janelle, you're a consultant now, so why is that true? Mm. I wasn't, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I'm a consultant now is um, I have joined a consulting company that's a little bit different from what I had expected from consulting. And uh, one of the core values of our company is reflective. And that very much drew me to the organization, knowing that I would be on a team that had people who also cared about being reflective and thoughtful 
made it something very attractive to me. And you weren't finding that in the initial uh, experience that you were having in the job search process as a, as a college junior looking for consulting and, and finance positions? No. And, mm. and two, the other part of that is it's a, our, our consultancy focuses on strategy and culture, and culture is very much interesting to me. And so once I found a consultancy that focused in culture, it was a no-brainer for me. So let, let's just stay on uh, the issue of, of culture for a moment. I, that's what through does. First, do tell us how you get up, how, how you come up with the spelling T H R U U E for your company. <laughs> yes, it's a question we get often. So T H R U U E is a combination of the words breakthrough and true. So we want to help our clients reach breakthrough insights through our conversations and our facilitation. Mm-hmm. And we want them to be true to themselves and true to their customers. Okay. Um, so that is through, T-H-R-U-U-E. And you're based in Washington, right? Yes. Uh, and people can find out more about your organization. We'll talk more about that um, at, at through.com probably. Yes, yes through.com. Okay. Uh, so back to the, the, the issue of um, how you were thinking about success. Uh, and you, so you're interested in philosophy. You're... you're you're attracted to reflecting on the big questions in life. What is what is its meaning and purpose, which is what the, the sum and substance of philosophical inquiry is about. Um, how did that change um, your thinking or what lenses did you then start to look through life here on campus that gave you insight about the culture of, of, of college life, hmm. about which you have written and blogged about uh, in a number of different places? What did you start to see? Our environments shape us, and they shape our desires so strongly. And we're constantly taking cues from the people around us, Mm -hmm. what they care about, uh, what they think is successful. And uh, philosophical literature will say, this is not a new problem. People have defined success as some combination of money, prestige, and others' high regard for a long time. And I think the more that we can have a conversation about the types of pressures that that puts on people, um, especially me during my experience feeling like I was a failure if I didn't conform. To the consultant finance track model. Right. Is that what you mean? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, The better students will be, the higher their well-being will be. And that's really important. You right. should you should be at college and be well and not be so busy and feeling like you need to make a mark, otherwise you're gonna miss it and everyone will write you off. That that does not lend to wellness. And I think what, it what does it lend to? What what does it lead to? That competitive, self seeking, elitist mentality, as I think you refer to it in one of your articles here in the student newspaper sometime back. What does it lead to? It leads to a pressure that students cannot keep up with. Some some students thrive under pressure. They mm-hmm. love competition. Competition as a value, if you hold that as a personal value, is not a bad thing. I think for many, that weight, that pressure causes um, mental and emotional health problems. Uh, and And when there's not a safe space to talk about the certain kinds of pressures that we might feel... Um, when there's not a safe space, it becomes a dirty thing. And it's something 
that you have to hide. And it's something... When you say dirty thing, what, what do you mean? I mean, I think back to my time here and conversations of how are you doing? And most people say, good, but I'm really busy. Uh, what do you mean by busy? What's behind that? How are you feeling with the busyness? Are you taking time to care for yourself? Are you taking time to be social with your friends? Are you taking time to reflect on what's important to you? Or are you constantly running around and doing things because you think that that's what it takes to be a good student here? And there's no right or wrong answer. Um, what I really mean here is when culture shapes us and we're not aware of the ways that it's directing our desires and how we define success and what we want from life, that's when it's dangerous. Because then you get 10 years down the road and you're like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Well, that, that is a common occurrence for yes. people who don't take the time and have the courage, I would say, to do the work of reflection and inquiry and dialogue about the important things. Absolutely. It's something we t we've talked a lot about on the show over the three and a half years that we've been in business here. It's because it's such a central idea and so important to people, not just, of course, at the start of their careers, but throughout life. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so those pressures, you felt them and you, mm -hmm. you, you experienced strain and stress. Uh, can you talk about what that was like and how you worked through that? Yeah, yeah. I uh, During my time at Penn started to feel my mental and emotional health declining significantly. And there was a time that I um, went to counseling and psychological services here and found it to be quite useful. And I think in general, there's been a need for that on campus, especially during my time here. And I've been so encouraged to see programs like the Penn Benjamins start up. And the Penn Benjamins is a student group of mentors that you can talk to about pressures that you're feeling or um, aspects of your mental health. Or, for instance, the... The Benjamins, I should say, that's named, of course, for our founder, Benjamin Franklin. Yes. Please continue. What was the other organization Precisely. you were going to refer to? Uh, so after I graduated, the Ivy League uh, Consortium on Mental Health, I believe it's called, maybe the Ivy League Conference on Mental Health, started happening on an annual basis. And it was a place for students to gather and talk about mental wellness on campus mm -hmm. and its relatedness to the kinds of pressures and expectations that students feel are upon them. And so I've been mentioning a few times here that space for dialogue and mm -hmm. openness that is safe to say, like, I'm not OK and that's OK. It's OK to say that. Yes. You're not yes. Like, whole or... imagine I'm a student at elite mm -hmm. at elite university or any university really or, where there's pressure to perform and to mm -hmm. to con to conform to a certain model of success that might not be the model that you have in mind deep inside yes and let's go ahead and extend that to organizations this happens in companies too of course um to be able to say i'm not okay and that's okay let's talk about it mm -hmm. let's talk about it because if we're not going to talk about it we can't do anything about it, to change it, to bring people's awareness to it, to mm -hmm. say, it's okay if you don't have all your stuff together because you don't have to be afraid of not being successful or living up to the image that other people have of you. We're all human. And, and this is why you have on your resume 
uh, the failures that you've experienced in life, correct? Which yes. is now something that uh, is becoming increasingly common. And as uh, I saw in some newspaper article, I should get the reference for you folks on this, but there was a piece about what uh, what they're doing at Smith College now uh, as part of their orientation. I believe it's part of the orientation where uh, I think it's all the faculty or all the members of the freshman class, I don't have this quite right, but the the, ba- the basic idea is that they're putting on their site, check out smithcollege.com and, and see if I'm right, uh, You know the stories of all the failures of all the significant players in this organization, in this school, as a way to make normal mm-hmm. the idea that you know what's on your resume is just the surface polished, refined string of incredible success, one building you know to the next. Uh, but that behind that, there is a person who has lived and learned through success and failure. So mm-hmm. you've done that. You've put that on your resume. And uh, so if people went to your LinkedIn profile, they'd see, here's how I screwed up this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, they would see it on my website. On your um, website. On my website. My LinkedIn is the cleaned up version. Oh, okay. It's so that's the, the resume. <laughs> it's the resume. But the real story is at your website. Yes. Janelle, you're here on campus um, not just to join me in the studio here, but you had a, another mission uh, that you undertook today. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, this morning I led a workshop with students at Wharton uh, to think about their values, strengths, expectations, and crafting their own definition of success in order to, with that toolkit, think about maximizing the alignment of all of those things, so characteristics of themselves, their values and strengths, with an organization that they want to join in the future. Hmm. And I mentioned uh, before the break, like many of us in life get five or ten or even one year into a job and we're thinking, wow, this isn't what I expected. This Mm -hmm. isn't actually what I'm driven by. This isn't what I wanted to be doing with my life. And the reason I'm here with students is to help them to think about these things early. Mm -hmm. And at a place like Penn, students tend to be so busy that they rarely take the time for reflection because this does take reflection. I mean, you write about this in Total Leadership. It takes dedicated time and thought. And so... Yes, it's hard work. It is hard work. Necessary. Very necessary. But difficult. So I'm here just trying to help students get a get a head start on those questions. Well, that's fantastic. What, how did it go? What did you do? Uh, it went really well. I led them through a couple of exercises and thinking about identifying their core values. Mm-hmm. So what's important to them. Um, first, we talked about values, then strengths, then their own definition of success. And I led them through... Uh, teaching a little bit about some research done that on it's called job organization fit mm-hmm. or person organization fit. Mm-hmm. And the basic premise is when you align characteristics about yourself with the characteristics of a company, such as their values, mission, vision, and goals, you have higher job satisfaction and a decreased intent to quit your job. Mm-hmm. And not surprising. Not surprising. One um, of those pretty simple, like, wow, they pay people to study that in science. And yes, folks, that's what I got my PhD in, organizational psychology. And that's what we studied. Those kinds of, of course, questions. So yes. how does this bear on the work that you do, not just with students now, but in your organization? What does through do to help organizations figure these questions out? The first thing that Through believes is culture has to always be tied to strategy. And so 
if your company strategy or the way that you operate in the marketplace or in the world isn't somehow inclusive of the way that you feel and treat your employees, then you have no game to play. Um, This is becoming increasingly true as organizational culture becomes a more popular topic and on the minds of many people in the job search, uh, aligning with an organization whose work you care about and whose values align with your own is becoming more and more important to people. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say secondly, we believe that you cannot manage culture unless you measure culture. And so with every client that we engage, we start with a culture measurement process. And Mm -hmm. there are many methods to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, We use one that's values-based. So we, we ask all the employees to complete Uh, an assessment of how they feel the values are being lived out in their organization currently. So what are the values that describe this organization right now? Mm -hmm. And what are the values that would describe the organization in an ideal state or Mm -hmm. what it needs to succeed? Mm -hmm. What would you like to see here? Mm -hmm. Then we look for a gap. And then once we find a gap, we work with leadership and culture carriers, we call them. So people um, peppered throughout the organization to really create change, figure out what are the things we can change about the patterns of work life, the ways we communicate with Mm -hmm. each other, uh, the types of policies we have on the book about when to be in the office, how much we take vacation, um, how we process expenses, even things like that uh, really matter for the way we carry out interactions with each other, which culture is really just How do we interact with each other on a day-to-day basis? And so we assemble this team of folks within the organization because we believe the answers are within them, and we just facilitate their thinking and get them to think expansively about how to create the change to the ideal culture that they're Mm -hmm. actually looking for. Which then leads them to to take certain actions to to adjust how they behave, the kinds of uh, policies and practices they, they enact which represent a certain set of values, right? Yes. I I assume that's how that goes. Yes. And this is so important to do beyond the leadership level. Mm -hmm. Culture starts with leadership, absolutely. Tone from the top is so important. Um, However, there's research showing that a leader's conception or perception of culture is often much more positive than non-management or non-leadership perception of Mm -hmm. culture. And so every leader should be very cognizant of of how their teams and frontline employees are are thinking about the culture of the organization as well. And so it's bringing that awareness. It's always different uh, yes. at the top and the middle at the bottom. Uh, so bringing that awareness to, to, to both parties, right, helps to create a greater sense of coherence and, and common understanding about, well, who are we actually? Absolutely. And who do we want to be and how do we get there? Yes. So that's the work that your company does. Yes. Well, it's important. And how do you think that... That kind of work affects people's lives outside of work. I mean, back to what we were speaking about earlier with respect to the culture of, of, our, of our campus. How does that play out in the work that, uh, that, that, that through is involved with? A conversation about culture in your workplace gives you a voice to help create that culture. And we've found that when employees have a voice to help change or create a constructive culture, they are much more happy to be working where they're working. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have higher job satisfaction because they feel like they're contributing to something 
very useful for them. They're saying, this is a value that I would love to see in this organization. Mm -hmm. Like for, for what? Can you give an example? of? Yeah. One? So one great example is um, transparency. Mm -hmm. And so if I feel like I'm in an organization where information hoarding is a problem and it's tripping me up from enjoying my job mm -hmm. and doing my job effectively and I can bring awareness to that fact through one of these measurement tools, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And have a conversation about it with management. I can move toward helping think through ways in which leaders can communicate with me in a more transparent fashion. Mm -hmm. So for instance, town halls, um, we have a weekly call at my company every week in which we're allowed to ask our founder, hey, what keeps you up at night? That is transparency to the maximum. Mm -hmm. So that's one example. So that's a practice that your company uh, tries to, to model. Yes. Um, and, and back to what we were speaking about just before the break, what, what Smith College is doing uh, <laughs> to, to change the culture of that school. Yeah. Uh, um, our our, our uh, program director and producer, Patty Hall, has found the information that I know you, as a listener you're dying to hear it's about what Smith College is doing to uh, promote a, uh, uh, let's call it normalization of, of uh, failure. They call it uh, failing well. And you can get, just check it out at Smith College, a certificate of failure. These are, these are promoted as something that one ought to be proud of. Failing well. Is, is the name of their initiative, and I think it was in the New York Times that they wrote about this just today or yesterday. Failing Well is a set of programs dedicated, I'm reading from their website, uh, to the discussion of failure, risk-taking, and mistakes. It's a partnership between a couple of their different centers. I won't name them. Uh, the mission is to increase student resilience by teaching, telling stories, and opening a campus conversation about failure. So... I mean, what you're doing, Janelle, with uh, having your on your personal website, uh, identifying your various failures, seems you probably have earned a certificate of failure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go to Smith College on that one. Uh, well, but um, but that's a really interesting example, isn't it, of what uh, an organization's doing to try to change its culture? Absolutely. What do you think about that program? I applaud it wholly, and I think they're really sending a message that says. Failure is not bad. Failure is an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. That's what that is. And for for a generation like my own that grew up um, sort of being shielded from failure, uh, so many safety precautions took uh, total control of the parenting world um, for better most of the time. And Participation uh, trophies. Participation trophies. Now, um, those are your team. You were on our team and you showed up. Yes. Yay, you're so, a winner. So good job. And by mm -hmm. the way, in case you didn't do well on this assignment, I'll go to your teacher and make sure that you got a good grade on your assignment because I'm your biggest cheerleader. And so there's these, there's a couple things here like helicopter parenting and participation trophies and things like that that have made failure kind of stigmatized for many of mm -hmm. my peers. And to see uh, someone in an organization like Smith College to be... Uh, heralding this message is very encouraging. What recommendations, Janelle, do you have for young people to uh, 
to take action on their own. Like for people listening now, or maybe it's for friends or parents or aunts and uncles or neighbors of especially young people who, as you were saying, really are keenly asking about, hey, I want to be in a place where I am motivated because I care about what we do. How do you how do you recommend that people help such searchers find their way? Hmm. I think the essence of that is in asking real and hard questions. The importance of having a mentor in your life, I cannot overstate. I think um, a lot, there's a study that I reference in my writing in which uh, college students who had a mentor in college and after college were rating their own experience of satisfaction in their lives after college much more highly. Mm-hmm. And so for anyone who's trying to help a searcher, uh, mm-hmm. ask the real questions that actually get someone into a reflective space to think about what is important to you. If things aren't going well at your current organization, why is that? Where is there misalignment? Where can you make space for more harmony and integration? What are your strengths and how can you lend them to the world in a constructive way on mm-hmm. a team and and to further the mission of an organization? And they're hard questions to answer. I'm not I don't want to give the impression that uh, we can get there overnight because mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time. It takes time and hard work. But what's the difficulty? We, you and I have both said this is challenging. This is difficult. It's hard to introspect. What what is it that makes it hard? What was what was hard about asking yourself these questions? And people who might be listening are thinking, ah, this touchy feely stuff. I don't know if I need to be doing this work. I just need to work hard, keep my nose clean, and just you know, do the work that I'm asked to do as well as I possibly can, as many hours as I can possibly muster. It takes courage. To do what? It takes courage to listen to that inner voice and isolate it from all the voices that we are uh, pummeled with from outside of us. Pummeled. Yeah. And and maybe it's not always pummeling. Maybe it's whispering. And maybe it's <laughs> gentle. But it takes, just like in statistics, um, or maybe radio world, uh, to separate the signal from the noise and to tap into the, the signal of your inner voice takes practice. It really does. Mm-hmm. And it takes courage in order to to know the difference and then to choose to listen to the inner voice. And the, the courage that's required, the difficulty, the challenge, how would you put it? Yes, you have to tune in and that's effort in itself. But the emotional challenge is something different, isn't it? Yeah. It takes a level of humility. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to be willing to uh, articulate, to say to yourself and then to others to get back to where we began this conversation, mm-hmm. uh, what it is that you've discovered. Yes. Right? Once you yes. look inside and realize, oh, that's me. Yes. It's and not what everybody wants of me. It's who I am that I now have to or am able to see. And how do I now tell people that? Because maybe that's different than what my parents expect, what my friends expect, mm-hmm. what my school is expecting, what my you know, employer is expecting. How now do I become myself? This is the great question. It is. It is. And it's not a new question. It's been around for so long. And every every corner you turn, mm-hmm. it will always be easier to mm-hmm. 
maintain the status quo, to not make any change. Mm -hmm. Change is really hard. Yes. But we, we are biased by the status quo. Um, well, we are we are near the end of our time here, Janelle. Uh, if people want to find out more about the, you and the work that you're doing, how would they do that? You can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Janelle Lesniak. Or you That's, can go to my website. So there's the LinkedIn Janelle and then there's your website, <laughs> yes. Yes, my website is janellelesniak.com. Um, and uh, if you need to know how to spell my name, you can find it on the Work in Life website. Yes, indeed. Um, and, and about through? About through. You can go to through.com. That's T-H-R-U-U-E.com. Mm -hmm. And you'll see all about the work we do. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with recent Wharton graduate Janelle Lesniak and that it stimulated some new ideas for what you can do to change the culture of organizations or a school that you're a part of. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. Why not try a small experiment in revealing to someone or some group an aspect of your history that was, at least by most common standards, a failure. What happens when you tell others not about your grand achievements, but rather about an instance, an episode in your history that shows you to be human, frail, imperfect? Does it make a dent in the way you and others around you think and feel about pressures to be perfect, to be something more than who you really are? Something to consider, something to try perhaps. And if you do indeed attempt something like this, write and let me know what you discover from this experiment. I'd love to hear from you. Tweet at Stu Friedman or email me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. And for more information about Janelle Lesniak, go to through.com. That's T-H-R-U-U-E dot com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, Please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. <laughs>